Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons. Jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, the changing of the guard has begun. The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, has begun a great purge at the Pentagon where hundreds of advisors are being removed from advisory positions. People who are in the pipeline to take positions from the Trump era are being discontinued, no longer being vetted. This is a a kind of deep state purge. And I guess that's what really happened. So when people said there were a lot of Obama holdovers in Trump's administration, I wonder if they didn't do something like this. Maybe they should have. But in any case, anything that happened during the Trump administration, that's what me reading between the lines and the in the record of what's going on down there. But Binkley, you this guy, Lloyd Austin, made your radar, too, today, right? Yeah, he had a lot going on the past couple of days. He ordered the Department of Defense military-wide to stand down to do a 60-day stand-down to discuss the problem of extremism in the ranks of the military. That's just so right up what you were saying about how, yeah. and I noticed some of it too, that they, they, they were saying that they had to look in the military, look at people in uniforms, look in law enforcement for these domestic terrorists. And when they highlighted the Oath Keepers, the Oath Keepers are the guys who the oath that they are saying they're going to keep is the oath to the Constitution above the chain of command. And yeah. yes, it's a threat to these people in power, but there should be no conflict. These should not be considered terrorists. Of course, it's probably been infiltrated so that they can find some bad apples. They're going to find what they are looking for. Yeah, they're using the Capital Six, quote, riots as a basis for this. They've actually arrested 180 people on federal charges over that. And he has said that domestic terrorism of the kind we saw on January 6th is one of the greatest issues that we face in America. And part of this 60 day stand down. They're going to be going through each service and each command and each unit, and they're going to take the time out to have the needed discussions with the men and women of the force. And then they're going to be hammering out details of the training that the military people will be going through as part of this. This, to me, sounds what re-education, what indoctrination would sound like. And there's a, a thread, a theme that's been going on for several administrations already. Obama had the insider threat. That's when he started prosecuting people under the Espionage Act from World War One. It's when they uh, dug into the emails of journalists, all this kind of stuff from the Obama administration. And then when Trump took office, I noticed that he was uh, agitating for a consolidation of all intelligence. Uh, and when you... When you consolidate such things, you are centralizing. And then the famous question people always ask you about conspiracies. Well, how do you get all those people on board? Well, the more consolidated and centralized and hierarchical it is, very, very few people need to be on board. So when I see them slotting in somebody like Kamala Harris, who's obviously deep, deep state or the old timers like Biden himself, I think this is I mean, it doesn't get more consolidated than just intergenerationally not even you know skipping entire generations of people that you have to re you know let into the back room but the indoctrination all that stuff is going to be a way that they make sure people know what's expected of them but i yeah. think that they will continue to target whistleblowing and make sure that people do not blow the whistle if they see something unconstitutional or unconscionable going on yeah absolutely and they talk about the questions that need to be answered that question being what 
is extremist activity? What is permissible in looking for extremist activity? So what so what bounds do they have to investigate people's lives and what's going to be the definition of this activity? So maybe we'll get a definition. Maybe it'll emerge from the 60 day retreat to re-education camp. <clears throat> it'll probably evolve over time. I wouldn't be surprised. I had a little side story. I meant to get to, and it just uh, <clears throat> it just points out that you that you cannot trust the you can't be sure that the people in positions of authority are not working for a you know they're not working for the people. But this was an an example from Mexico. Sixteen police in Mexico were arrested in relation to nineteen charred bodies, including Guatemalan immigrants, stuff like that. Looks like uh drug stuff. And it was funny because it was basically the same plot as a movie I just watched, Sicario Two, where the the Mexican police were the ones who were like uh, ambushing the DEA and all that. So I think there is stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I'm reading this book about the Danny Casolaro murder, the octopus it's called, and it's all this deep state stuff. And he talks about the octopus is like eight guys, eight CIA guys, including Howard Hunt and maybe George H.W. Bush, who basically run all this stuff. They're the ones who, you know, it's very complex. We might get into it in a little bit if we want to go back to the FBI story from Florida yesterday. There's some tentacles that reach there. But I think the greater threat inside these organizations is that they work for somebody else you know they don't it's not that there's a there's a subgroup that lloyd austin has to flush out flush flush out because they don't work for we the people it's that i think the problem is that there's a subgroup that has these loyalties to let's call it the octopus yeah i think so when they gain the trust of the officers and whoever they can do whatever they want and they're above the law yeah did you see the story about AOC that's going around today? Another big story about AOC, as though she there's, needs any more attention than she already gets. There's been a lot of buzz, and I know her um, sexual assault. So it wasn't just sexual harassment. Somebody told me this, and also my daughter told me those sexual assaults. I think she was claiming that's definitely getting talked about. But I don't know what the what the controversy is. Here's the controversy today. So AOC has been going around since January 6th, telling her story about what happened. She has accused Ted Cruz at one point of, quote, almost having her murdered. She has told her story about how she feared for her life and how she fled to a closet to hide out in fear of the insurrectionist storming in and getting her. Everything she has told has led you to believe that she was in the Capitol building and that Capitol rioters were storming the halls outside, potentially about to bust in, looking specifically for her. That's not true. She was not in the building. She was not in the Capitol where the people who went inside were. She wasn't there. She was in the building across the street, kind of a couple blocks away on the Capitol premises, but not right, inside the Capitol. Yeah. So that's the defense is she never said she was in the Capitol. She just said it. She told her story in a way that you you leave believing that she was. So everybody I've heard talk about her recount her story they all did it as though she was in the capitol but, and but actually yeah. what wasn't the count in the senate the count was in the senate because kelly leffler betrayed georgia yeah. in the senate she was a senator so there would it would have been irrelevant 
you know, was con- was that the House in session during this monumental moment in the Senate? Yeah, I don't know. I you know, just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm just saying. Well, her emotional Instagram live stream called attention to this. And now people on the right are calling her Alexandria Acacia Smollett from Jesse Smollett as making up the story. And that's fine. And it's true. She lied about it. But this is exactly what I was saying that she does. I said a couple days ago that the people who stormed the Capitol gave Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez exactly what she wanted. And that is the opportunity to have a victim story that she can exploit (laughs) to use to influence her base for a long period of time. And we were more on point than I realized because she was actually hijacking a story that she wasn't even involved in. And she was using that to emotionally manipulate her base and her base are only going to continue defending her because it doesn't matter that she was caught in a lie. It doesn't matter that she was caught misleading because now not only was she attacked on the 6th, she's now being attacked, according to the left, she's now being attacked by these white supremacists on the right who are attacking her online saying that she lied. So it doesn't matter that she has emotionally manipulated a group of people. She's been busted for it. And now that group of people is defending her. I think this stuff is getting more and more blatant just maybe to see everything purely emotional just to completely subvert the thinking and also it puts white supremacy and it puts the capital riots back at the center of attention it doesn't matter that she lied doesn't matter that she's caught it benefits her and she's actually said stuff like that i know that we've mentioned before where she misspeaks trump lies Biden misspeaks, <laughs> right, trump yeah. lies it doesn't yeah. matter it, it goes with the stacy abrams things that i i've dubbed facts are facts but truth is truth kind yeah. of thing like they and that is an old i mean i hate to use the communist marxist thing because i think that in itself is a psyop yeah. but they but that is a classic of that era of communist propaganda of just use words that mean what you need it to mean like any any word truth goodness peace all of that just Uh means fostering the cause right here's what the fact check was it's pretty funny from snopes did aoc exaggerate the danger she was in during the capitol riot that's really not the question that should be asked but it says aoc (laughs) aoc was targeted with another round of bad faith smears giving an emotional firsthand account of her experiences during the capitol riot there was nobody that stormed in the building that she went in nobody went inside that building to storm Capitol Police officer went in and got people, but there was no rioters that went in. And so they say the claim is that she exaggerated the danger and that she wasn't even in the Capitol building. And Snopes rules that mostly false because they say that she never said she was in the building technically. So the claim is false. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and and actually the fact that she was careful about what she said means it seems to me that she was trying to be deceptive. Yeah. So and speaking of deceptive, that let's let's drill down to the kind of micro level of that throwback story from those activists in Georgia. Oh, yeah. This was from the AJC yesterday. You might recall over the summer that there was an incident during the George Floyd protest. I believe it was in June or July, somewhere around there, where two African-American students, one from Spelman, one from Morehouse College, got in a bit of a controversy because police officers pulled them out of their car and tasered them, allegedly tasered them, and 
police officers immediately get fired and these two students one of them's name is Tiana Pilgrim the other is Messiah Young end up going on the media tour they're in CNN MSNBC they're speaking at the rallies outside they become prominent figures in this Black oh, Lives Matter really? march and they raised over $200,000 in less than a week on GoFundMe based on this incident with the police Have nobody you tells s- you the police officers were black by the way Interesting. Have you seen them speaking? Like, did you yes. actually catch any videos? Were yeah. they good? Yes, they were. I, okay. And that's what made me look into them further right. because of how good right. they were at doing this. And it was clear to me when I investigated them a little bit that they were activists. That they were future Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams went to Spelman. This is something that these organizations do. Oh, and they went do. to Spelman? The girl went to Spelman. The guy went yeah. to Morehouse. So they're all in that wow, community of, yeah. of sure American schools. Yeah. I'm sure those places are super duper politically charged. Absolutely. Like, they have activist trainings and yeah. stuff on campus. This is where yeah. the Stacey like, Abrams are made is places it, like this. It's like where they seed cells from. Yes. And, and if and you think that what's happening there is actually for the good of the communities that they're sent out into, you got another thing coming. Right, Because totally. the communities that they're sent out into have grassroots. This is there to hijack that. Yeah, it's there to hijack it. From and, the top. Yeah. And... Abrams and then they have these stories from when they were younger, their origin stories. Where they say, when I was a kid, this happened to me and this impacted my life this way. This is why I'm running for president or whatever. This was that type of thing for these two students. This yes. was their story. Creating a legacy. But when you watch the video of what happened, what you see is that the, the students were stopping and filming police officers who were arresting somebody else. And they were told multiple times to go on, to stop, to move on. And they did not. And then they got into a little bit of an altercation. One of them shut the door. The police officer tries to open the door and they speed their car off while the police officers trying to open the door that caused the police officers to then pull them out of the car. And then wow. what happened next? what happened? So that's what really happened. That is straight out of Jane Sikowski's. Absolutely. Sikowski's bird, bird dogging. dogging. Yes, totally. Wow. I well, mean, perfect. Yeah, it is. You might as well be ripped out of your wheelchair. Absolutely. <laughs> and a little bit of justice so far anyway has occurred this week because the really? two Atlanta police officers that were on video doing this have got in trouble. They have gotten their job back because it was determined that they were not allowed due process. Oh, I saw that. That was a headline on the front page of CNN.com. Yeah. They, so they got their jobs back no, for I'm now. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, it definitely right. wasn't. <laughs> yeah, sure. I was like, CNN cover that? <laughs> Is that what where I you miss? saw it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw it buried in the AJC. But their lawyer said they were able to get a civil service board hearing and were able to prove to the board's satisfaction that the officers were denied due process. They failed to follow the ordinance and they failed to follow their own policies. And the board ordered these cops reinstated. The people who fired them. When you say that, when you say it was a process issue, it sounds like it was a technicality. But why would you violate the process? You violate the process because the results of the process would probably be exoneration. That's why the process that was going on on January 6th in the Senate might have led to an outcome that the mob would have liked. They subverted the process, right? So now then they went in and Kelly Leffler and Mitch McConnell, like we have to truncate the process because those idiots got in our way. But it doesn't matter because the outcome would have been the same. It would not be the same. The process is extremely extremely important. Absolutely. And even their lawyers said that what happened, the firings were politically expedient and they were just trying to they were trying to satisfy the mob That's is great. what they were doing. Yeah, so I'm happy. Hopefully it holds. I know there's going to be appeals. Yeah. Very interesting. So let's um, 
just button up a couple of the other s- stories that were kind of related because I fell into a rabbit hole and I want to tell you about it, but it's going to, it's going to hijack the show. So All right, let's go there's for it. a little more out of Georgia though. There was a stone mountain story you had, and you also had the, uh, the welfare warfare super state was flexing its muscle. Didn't you say, Oh right. this is the truth. I call it the war party. Now the Democrats are the war party. They have completely to the extent that Trump even just paid lip service to, or made gestures or to pull stuff back out of the middle East, or even to just slow it down, just not accelerate. What happened in Yemen is bad. And to tell you the truth, like I would have to actually dig into the details to believe that what he was doing was less bad. I don't think he was dropping 20,000 bombs a year on Syria like Obama was. I don't know why they eased off on that. I don't know if it was just because Russia stepped in. I don't really know. Scott Horton would know. But for me, the the war party, it, it's like the GOP has become the populist party and the Democrats are now the war party. And and that's yeah. my contrary law of democracy. You're not going to yeah. get uh, the foot on the gas for the war anymore out of the Republicans because the Democrats are watching them. It's going to take a Democrat. Yeah. Well, what happened? I tell you, Lloyd Austin has been has been busy <laughs> on fire. He has because <laughs> In a bipartisan report now urges postponing the planned United States troop exit from Afghanistan because they want to shore up the peace process. The report says that leaving too soon could trigger a civil <laughs> too war. Too soon! Hey, yeah, too soon. It's our longest war ever! What's it been since It's since like 2002. Yeah, yeah, maybe 2003. They say it could trigger a civil war, hand the Taliban victory, and spur the reemergence of terror groups that could threaten you. How many times are we going to hear this explanation over yeah, I mean, I and assume- over again? It's just an occupation because of the because of, for two reasons. One, if you look at a map, it's it's kind of a critical place between Asia and the Middle yeah. East and Russia is like a whatever one of those spots like Switzerland or Belgium. Yeah. And uh, but more important, it is when when the Taliban was controlling it, they eradicated poppy growing in one year. And then we invaded and reinstated it. Replanted the poppies. Yes. And there are literally pictures of our soldiers or mercenaries with their big guns guarding the poppy fields. So that's why we're, I I mean, that for a while, that's why we were there. And maybe we're still there, but we're, it's an occupying force. We're not nation building. It's 18 years. We've just taken it over. And there's another place that we are also not going to be pulling out of, and that is Germany, the planned drawdown related to the Trump administration's uh, plan to reduce the troops in Germany is now on hold because Pentagon chief Lloyd Austin, the new Pentagon chief, is reviewing the idea. So I don't expect the troops to be coming home from Germany either so at least we're finally getting some bipartisan work done yes um the, with afghanistan i remember that trump put in the dine corp guy to be the advisor I think stephen cohen maybe was his name to be the advisor in afghanistan and i was like we're never getting out of afghanistan now because that they were losing money until because of the drawdown and then i assumed it was going to ramp back up i don't so us not leaving there doesn't really surprise me germany i think has a genuine tension going on as kind of like we still have that stay behind thing troops there from World War II. And we really have Angela Merkel obviously just goes in lockstep with the globalist plans. But there is a lot of pressure to make deals with Russia because 
Germany is the industrial powerhouse and Russia is the resource powerhouse. And that was always the nexus of the threat to the island empires, the British Empire and all the little like those five eyes. We talk about the English speakers that kind of circle the main landmass. So Germany and Russia, Germany is an interesting Spot, I think, you know, I usually don't think there's a genuine struggle for power. And I just kind of, you know, I'm always a little bit scratching my head about Germany. So maybe there's a real struggle of power there. Yeah, and perhaps. I've got to tell you this stuff about Amazon. I really didn't leave myself uh, enough time because I did not want to indulge myself in all this. So I'm going to talk fast. I'm going to tell you what I think is interesting. So yesterday, uh, Ricky, a fr- our friend from the Ripple Effect and Union of the Unwanted, celebrated his 300th show. I popped in and in that brief time, they were talking about uh, Bezos and they talked about how Bezos is now transitioning to focus on philanthropy, to which Charlie Robinson made a reference <laughs> to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, saying the guy was pretending to be a philanthropist, but he said full-on rapist. <laughs> <laughs> so now Charlie and, and now I can't think of philanthropists without thinking of full-on rapist. <laughs> so Bezos is becoming a, a full-time philanthropist. God help us all on that front. I'm following the footsteps of Bill Gates yes. and Warren Buffett and all the guys who, I mean, in my opinion, or actually it was in that Rockefeller Foundation document from 2010 that said that they are, um, that one of the ways to kind of stitch together a disintegrating um, world system of nation states that isn't ready for willing to have a world government is to disconnect them from each other, slow down information and have big philanthropy, the de facto world government. And I think and, and these are the scenarios. There was like four different scenarios about how the world would look, how it would stitch together in the future. And that was just one of them. And I believe that they do have those scenarios. They unfold and and that's probably where we're headed right now. That's what it looks like. This great reset is going to be kind of big philanthropy. It's it's a fascist yeah. thing of the corporations, yeah. the business and big philanthropy. That's what the PayPal owner said or CEO. He was talking about combining f- philanthropy and combining. Oh, yes, yeah. that was that was a, a hot button for me. OK, so I so I started I said, OK, so if Be- Bezos is doing that. Um, let me dig into a little bit the guy, uh, the CEO who's taking his place, Andy Jassy. And yeah. he's nine, he graduated from Harvard in 1990, which I also did. But I was a transfer student and lived like basically in the ghetto. And I Harvard did ghetto. not know anyone. What? The Harvard ghetto. Yeah, well, there's like the graduate students and I, it was a very difficult experience and I had no friends from there and I, I still have no friends from that era. Uh, it was really someday if we ever get personal, I'll tell you about You'll open up about your experiences. Oh my gosh, it was so painful. Um, anyway, this guy, he, he is the cloud guy, AWS, Amazon. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is it web services? Where, yeah, I, I think I that that is what kicked Parler off. Parler off as yes, Amazon I have web it all. Services. I have it all. I have it all. Yeah. So yes, he he had a secret meeting called the Chop, where he often meets with the highest level people. Rapid fire. He's the chop? He looks like a pain in the ass. 
that he that's where they decided to get rid of parlor that that drew some fire but um it's not unexpected of course we both think parlor is a setup and uh but what he was doing this aws thing that was in the news a lot because first of all it's the cloud it is the biggest cloud but it's also what made i have like a whole list of links for you to put in the show notes on the bottom of this all right um where the Amazon is, people probably know this already, but I, I didn't really understand completely. Massive defense operation, and they were they looked like it was custom made for them to get the Jedi ten billion dollar Pentagon cloud contract. Then uh, it went. Then supposedly Trump was mad at the Washington Post, so gave it to uh, Microsoft instead. Google dropped out. Oracle got pissed off. And I thought it was done, but it's not done. Amazon filed some like stuff that got judges to stop the migration into the Microsoft cloud. So I think this guy oh, wow. is going to get that Pentagon, that $10 billion Pentagon thing anyway. And that is going to really... Uh, make uh, a difference in their ability to surveil. They are moving full on into law enforcement and security, national security. They partner with Palantir, which is that CIA big data company. It's like Promise 2.0, in my opinion. Again, it goes to this book, The Octopus, that I'm reading. And uh, and it it goes... So now they are part of that. They're doing uh, a lot of work with Palantir on immigration, where they have data on two or three hundred million people, biometric data, everything on the immigrants that... Um, you know, people don't really talk about, but that is where this is going. I'll take a breath so you can say something. But how I do they more. get that data, Amazon? I I don't know. I mean, I I can tell you they have like iris scans and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, I I've never been to you know never tried to cross the border as an illegal, so yeah. I don't know what oh, they yeah. do you there. But I'm assuming that at at all these stations they have fingerprinting, retinal scans, facial recognition because that's another thing. Maybe that's they a requirement. Have. You sign up for Amazon when you cross the border. I maybe, but the way they they look at it, it's. They were developing, you know, we we talk about these things one off, haha, but it's really part of a big thing. So we were talking about how they have the facial recognition stuff that can yeah. detect emotions and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't all you need is a camera for that stuff. Like yeah. you don't even really need people to consent if you put a sign in English at the front door that they can't read that says by entering this facility, you consent to being surveilled and your data being collected and maintained. Yeah. Like it could yeah. just be as simple as that. So they are now the number one CIA cloud supplier. And um, this is another thing. AOC comes into this. It came to my attention. Remember when a when they were like, oh, we're going to build a facility in New York and AOC got all pissed yeah. off. And then they were like, ha ha, you're an idiot. You just lost it for New York. I never thought they were really serious about building yeah. in New York. Ends up what they where they ended up putting it. This was they were going to do two, but really they were probably only ever going to do one, like a mile from the Pentagon in Virginia is where they ended up putting that thing. So yeah. it's like an arm of the CIA at this point. Uh, and that they, would make sense. What I'm hearing here also sounds like a company that is in lockstep with the Great Reset when it comes to the data collection and the social. The, this I would consider this a social justice initiative. 
Well, I don't see any of that in my research, but I'm sure going down another path, you're going to find that, no doubt, especially if they're detecting emotions and all that kind of stuff. So, um, one little thing that I thought, two other little things that I thought was interesting, that DHS was among the Department of Homeland Security, the earliest agencies to adopt the Amazon cloud services under Mark Schwartz, the CIO, Chief Information Officer at the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service in 2017. After facilitating that, he then became a, uh, he then became got a big job at Amazon and it was even investigated a little bit like was that what the you know a revolving door or like they call it like rain from heaven in Japan where you make the deal big pharma does this a lot you make the deal and then you go back you you make the deal as a government worker and you get rewarded by getting a really high paying cushy job at the company that you just made a lot of money for yeah and um the the only other thing that I thought was very interesting was uh, I saw in a, just buried somewhere that in 2003, Bezos was in an, a helicopter crash. Did you ever hear that? No. I mean, people die in helicopter crashes. Yeah. There's no question well, about Kobe, that. Kobe, a year ago. Yes, right. And I, I thought... That seems like a warning to me, right? It's like straight out of the economic hitman guy because these guys, he's smart. Like he's not, I think Dorsey's just a face job, but this guy is smart, connected. Yeah. And I think that he's probably got enough of an ego, enough wherewithal to think he can do stuff on his own, like Travis Kalanick thought until he stepped down after his mother's uh, strange death. So I just dug into the helicopter crash a little bit to find this little Paragraph: The FAA reports as the pilot of Bezos's plane had been involved in a number of aviation accidents, in addition to a colorful incident more than a decade ago in New Mexico involving a prison break. In 88, Mr. Bella was at the controls of a helicopter that landed inside a prison compound near Santa Fe, picked up several pr prisoners and lifted off. He was held at gunpoint by a girlfriend of one of the escaped inmates. Uh, I don't know Wait, when. Bezos was on this helicopter? No, Bezos had a helicopter pilot. Okay, okay you understand? The pilot, These yeah. rich guys really care about their pilots. They care about how their planes are. They care about how many yeah. engines are in the plane. They care. Okay? This guy obviously had he said a was, history yeah. that was pretty sketchy. And uh, he was a number of aviation accidents and this crazy prison break incident. And I just wonder if the guy who was vetting the pilot for Bezos allowed this to happen because they want Bezos to know how vulnerable he is. <coughs> you, said 19, you said 1988. Well, that was the guy's initial incident in the prison break. Did it break say thing. where the prison break was? Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm wondering if I'm hearing all this and yeah, this guy could be used to send a message to Bezos. Also, I'd ask, this would be one of the people that I would say, hey, you got any idea where Jeffrey Epstein is? <laughs> he might have been a passenger on his plane. All right. So we we are going to got to move on, got to kind of, um, I don't know. Was that, let's see. That was interesting. That's definitely yes. Interesting. I'm happy to hear that. I want to, I want to wrap it up. I, let's just skip to what we're doing in the patient 15. All right. And yeah, what do you got? 
I'll tell you about how Elon Musk was manipulating the crypto market in the middle of the night last night. Oh, my gosh. I totally want to hear that. Also, a crazy rumor about those FBI agents in uh, in Florida. And I want to read you a passage from this book, The Octopus, that is from that same place in Florida, Sunrise, Florida, in Broward County. Yeah. Always Broward County. I've got it. It's been decades that Broward County has been the center of uh, sketchy business. But I think we have to get to our COVID stuff tomorrow and yeah. and. Call it a wrap. All right. You guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform, the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content that we post every time we post a DMB, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report and become a patron. You can also find our deep dive video podcast on rockfin.com. Propaganda Report will be posting a new video there this evening. We will talk to you on the Patreon 15 or tomorrow. Have a fantastic rest of your day.